Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So very quickly, I'll remind you again what's happening. We've noted many times this has been quite a day in the town of Capernaum. Jesus has already preached in the synagogue. The service was interrupted by a demon who Jesus cast out in the presence of all. The service was over. He came to the house of Peter. and There he healed Peter's mother-in-law of her fever. Now on the same day, as the sun is going down, the people are lining up at the door. And they are bringing their sick from all over. And they're asking for his help. Desperate people lined up outside the house as Jesus is fellowshipping with Peter and his family inside. What does Jesus do? Does he turn them away? No. He heals them all. This may well have lasted far into the night and the early morning. We can imagine that by the time the sun is coming up, Jesus is weary. And so he leaves Capernaum to try and find a quiet, solitary place. Jesus is probably looking for both some physical rest and some spiritual refreshment and communing with his father. But the people find him. And they want him to continue to minister to them. And not just today, long term. They want him to stick around. Stay with us in Capernaum. Very different than Nazareth, if you'll remember. But this isn't the mission that Jesus has been given. He must go to other towns. He must go to other regions. And so he doesn't just leave Capernaum. He leaves Galilee, the whole region, all together. He goes south to Judea. And he preaches in the synagogues of the towns there in the south. Now we're learning from this passage under four headings, four Ps. This passage teaches us about the person of Christ the power of Christ, the priority of Christ, and the purpose of Christ. And last week, we started looking at that first P, the person of Christ. And it took up the sermon because we looked at one of the most important and fundamental teachings of the entire Bible, namely that Jesus is the Son of God. But now we come to that other title, Found for our Lord in these verses, in verse 41, we're told that he rebuked the demons 
And then he would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. The Christ. So what does it mean that our Lord Jesus is the Christ? Well, the word means the anointed one. So when we speak of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is his name. Lord and Christ are both titles. Jesus is king, master, ruler. That's captured in the title Lord. But when we say he is Christ, we are saying he is the anointed one. Okay, what does that mean? Well, two points. First, in the Bible, a person anointed has a job to do. A person who is anointed has an office to fulfill. They are being anointed for a reason. They have a mission to accomplish. And throughout the Bible, beginning in Genesis 3, we see that there is one supreme task that is to be accomplished By one man in the history of the world. There is one special task and there is one special person that God's people were waiting for century after century to see accomplished. In Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden... And plunged you and me and the entire human race into sin and death and misery... God spoke of one. This must have been like music in the ears of Adam and Eve. God spoke of one who would come, the seed of the woman, who would bruise or crush the serpent's head. Put simply, there would be a second Adam. One who would come to make all things right. To set right what was broken in the fall. And as scripture and history progress, we find that person, this Messiah, this promised deliverer. Well, we learn that he will bring judgment on those who live in hostility towards God. But he will redeem every sinner who humbles himself and turns from his sin and raises the white flag and seeks to be reconciled to God. Here is the most important mission in the history of the world. The mission to reconcile God and man. To bring the two back together in a relationship of peace. The mission to vindicate God's holy name in light of the sin of this world. The mission to establish a renewed heavens and earth. A new paradise where righteousness and peace dwell forever. One man will come and accomplish all this. When we call Jesus the Christ, we are identifying him as the great serpent slayer, as the promised deliverer, as the Messiah. Humanity's only hope. When these demons say that Jesus is the Christ... They are saying that this man from Nazareth is the hope of the whole world. But then second, we see in Scripture 
that when someone has an important job to do, they are not to face that job in their own power. Instead, they're to, they're to depend on God. They're to look to God. They're to turn to God and trust and obey God in their mission. So you think about the prophets and the priests and the kings of Israel. They were not to execute their offices in their own strength. Rather, it will be God working through them as they pay attention to God, as they place their faith in God, as they pursue His Word and seek to put His Word into practice. And in fact, when these men in the Old Testament stepped into their offices, God placed a special gift of the Spirit on these men to empower them for their ministry. So in the Old Testament, priests were to be anointed for their work. And kings were to be anointed for their work. You remember Samuel finding young David and anointing him with oil. We remember the Mount Hermon Psalm, Psalm 133, talking about the anointing oil that runs down the head and the beard of Aaron onto his garments. The outward anointing with oil was a picture and a prayer, a picture prayer, asking God to pour out his Holy Spirit on this person, to equip them for their work, to bless their work, to empower their work. And so also, it was clear from the beginning that the Messiah on whose shoulders would hang the fate of the world would be a regular human being, a son of Adam and Eve. He was to be the seed of the woman, born of a woman. He was to be a real man with flesh and bones. He would be weak and fragile like us, susceptible to sickness and pain and hunger and thirst. How could any regular man accomplish the humongous task of being the Messiah with the mission set before him? Answer, this man would accomplish the messianic task as the anointed one because he would be full of the Holy Spirit. He would have the Holy Spirit in abundance. He would have the Holy Spirit filled to the brim and running over. He would be filled with the Spirit and in the strength of the Spirit, the Messiah would accomplish his task. Jesus did not need to be anointed with oil. He was going to be visibly anointed with the real thing, the Spirit Himself, in a way that even the onlookers could see. And we saw at the baptism of Jesus, the Spirit descend as a dove upon Him, revealing that God's anointing was now on Him. The Spirit would supply to Jesus everything He needed in every moment of His life in ministry. This title, Christ, should remind us not only of Christ's incredible mission, but of His special anointing with the Holy Spirit by which He accomplished that mission. Jesus saved our souls as a true man. Weak, fragile, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, notice that our text says that Jesus rebuked the demons 
and told them to be silent because they knew that he was the Christ. Why would Jesus not want people to know that he is the Messiah? This has led many people to believe in what has been called the messianic secret. This idea that Jesus wanted to keep his identity a secret. It just isn't the case at all. We already saw this a few weeks ago that Jesus, he didn't go around just blatantly calling himself the Messiah because there had been some men recently who had done that and they had led bloody political revolts that had resulted in massacres. Jesus did not want to be associated with those men. So he doesn't walk around just saying, I'm the Messiah. If Jesus had been moving through Israel, blatantly calling himself the Christ, the political leaders would have immediately worked to have him killed, to get him out of the picture before his time had come. But that's not the whole story. We find that Jesus does reveal himself as the Messiah, as the Christ, to those willing to hear what he is saying. Isn't that precisely what we saw in Nazareth? As he reads this passage from Isaiah about the Messiah and then tells the people in the synagogue that the passage has been fulfilled in their hearing. Later in the Gospel of Luke, John the Baptist in prison is going to send messengers and ask Jesus, Jesus, are you for sure the Messiah? Are you the one we've been waiting for? And Jesus is going to say, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus is pointing out that all the wondrous deeds he is doing are in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the marks of the Messiah. He is making himself known by his authoritative teaching, by his miracles, by his words, by his deeds. And in private, Jesus was willing to be quite blunt about his identity. For example, in John 4, when Jesus is speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well. Anytime Jesus is speaking with somebody who is, knows their sin, who is humble, who is willing to receive what he has to say, we find him much more open about who he is. She says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, John 4. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now that's not keeping a secret. <laughs> that's, that's not hiding his identity. He just, he just tells her, I am the Christ. This woman had been humbled. She was ready to receive the truth. Remember the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples at the very feet of Mount Hermon. In Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? His disciples here. And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Shh, don't tell anybody. Is that what he said? 
He said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That's his first response. We're going to see that Jesus didn't want the apostles just going out and, and telling everybody he was Christ until the time. But his first response was, yes, Peter, yes, that is who I am. What you have seen about me, what you have discerned, right? As you've watched me speak, as you've, as you've watched me perform these deeds, as you've traveled with me, the Holy Spirit has helped you put two and two together with what you know from the Old Testament. And the light has come on for you. It is true. I am the Christ. Then... He strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Don't just go. Because. Why? I mean, it is it is a question. Why? Why not just send the apostles out sharing it with everyone? Jesus is the Christ. I think the best explanation is Matthew 7 verse 6. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The point here is not Jesus calling people dogs and pigs. This is not an insult. It's an illustration. Okay? It's to use a picture that these agricultural people would understand. You and I both know that pearls are valuable. You and I would treat pearls as valuable. But if you go to a pigsty and you throw in a pearl, those pigs are not going to gather around it. They're not going to adore it. They're not going to treasure it. They're not going to take care of it. Pigs don't care about your pearl. They want slop. Your pearl is going to be completely ignored and lost in the mud and the muck. So also Jesus was careful as he spoke to the crowds. He spoke in such a way that those who truly wanted to hear and understand could. And the Spirit would help them. But many who were coming were also cynics and critics. Looking for a way to trap him. Looking for a reason to despise him. And they found little that they could use. There is a lesson here for us and our evangelism, for our witness in the world. Just because you and I know something very important that other people need to know, it doesn't mean we just go out and share it willy-nilly. You should share the gospel wisely. You should look for opportunities that are, that are proper opportunities. People who are willing to hear what you have to say. You should pray for the right audience. You should pray for, for true open doors. To speak to people in a way that you can know they want to understand what it is you believe. They're open to hearing what you have to say. If you live and work around very secular people... People who think Christianity is oppressive. People who think you're a bigot because you believe the Bible. You're not going to get very far just randomly casting your beliefs about them. They will trample your pearls. And it may harden their hearts rather than soften their hearts. 
Rather, I think we should let people know that we are church-going people, that we are Bible-believing people, that we are Christ-following people. And then we should live faithful lives before them while praying that God will give us those opportunities where people even come to us because they want to know about the hope that they see in us. True God-initiated open doors for the gospel so that we're not just throwing pearls before swine. Dear friend, this truth that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, it has been proclaimed to you. This is a pearl more valuable than your very soul. If you accept these truths of who Jesus is, if you believe on this Christ, if you call on this Christ, if you submit to this Christ, your whole life will be changed These truths that we've been preaching these last two Sundays have the power to take away your sins, to make you right with God, to save you from hell, and to bring you to heaven. How are you responding to such a pearl? Are you treasuring it? Are you you accepting it for what it really is? Or are you ignoring it, scoffing at it, valuing instead the slop of this world? Second P, the power of Christ. The power of Christ. We've noted that the authority of Christ is the central thread running through the second half of Luke 4. We've seen that authority in his teaching and his preaching. And in passages like this, his authority is revealed in the obedience of viruses and bacterias which flee or die in cells that come together and heal, in demons that are made to come out, and all at Christ's word. The authority of Christ means Jesus has the right to command all creation. And the power of Christ is his ability to affect what he commands. If I give you an order, you may or may not do it. And what I wanted to see happen may or may not happen. When Jesus gives a command, his very word accomplishes what he commands. That is power. When Jesus chooses for somebody's body to be healed, it is. We are meant to behold here the staggering power of Jesus Christ. A universal power. There is no place in all creation where Christ's power doesn't hold sway. There is no part of creation, no no star, no galaxy, no supernova that does not do the exact will of Christ. When Jesus spoke to these people, the cells in those bodies heard the voice of their maker. And just as Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him and they hear his voice and they come to him. So every part of the natural world knows the voice of its maker. It is human beings who are sinful and fallen and disobedient. The natural world is not sinful. It's under a curse because of us. 
But the natural world obeys the voice of its king. Even those who live in rebellion against Jesus, even those people who deny Jesus and live in sin, only live and breathe because of the almighty will of Christ. Should Jesus will for one moment for people to cease to exist, we would cease to exist immediately. We live every moment at the good pleasure of Christ. He gives all mankind life and breath and everything, Acts 17, 25. Even the forces of darkness cannot truly resist the power of Christ. They rebel only as much as Christ allows them to rebel, even as Jesus upholds their very existence. There is nowhere and there is no thing in all creation that you can point to that is not completely upheld and ruled over by the power of Jesus Christ. And this power is an absolute power when a sculptor is working with his clay that clay can be more or less resistant to what he's trying to do but when Christ wills for something to happen there can be no resistance or to put it differently there will only be resistance if Christ chooses to allow there to be resistance For the will of Christ is a sovereign will. His dominion is an absolute dominion. We can no more hold back the hand of Christ than a two-year-old can hold back the hand of a grown man. Or a grown man can hold back the wave of a tsunami. And Christ's power, thank God, is a righteous power. There's all this talk in our culture right now about power and which groups have the power, which groups wield power in our society, how that power is being used. Jesus Christ always wields His power for good, for righteousness and holiness. Christ has never used His power for evil, never used it in sin, always to glorify His Father. And let's be clear, Christ's power is just that. It is Christ's power. God is not running a socialist world in which all human beings are equal in power, voice, and resources. Christ alone has been given this great power. He has had it forever as the Son of God in His divinity, but He now has it as the risen and descended God-man. As a glorified human being, He has all this power so that now as one person, two natures, both of His natures wield infinite power. And this is not a power that Christ shares equally with others. As believers, we get to share in Christ's power as a wife shares in those things which belong to her husband. But we'll never have power the way Christ does. All authority and power have been given to Jesus Christ. His voice is the voice which all must obey. He has all the resources. The government of this world is not socialist nor democratic. The government of this world is a benevolent dictatorship. It is a true and pure monarchy. Every king that ever existed pointed to the true king. 
Jesus Christ has all the power, and yet he loves his people so much that he died for them. He opens his kingdom to all who end their rebellion and will have him as their king. He uses his office as king, as Lord over all, as the holder of all power and authority to bless his people, to accomplish good for his people, to fulfill the good purposes of his father. It is a righteous power. And friends, the power of Jesus Christ is one of the sweetest themes for the Christian to enjoy. Are you enjoying, as I'm preaching, about the power of Jesus Christ? Take your present situation. Take your current hardship that you are facing. See how the obstacles and the unknowns build up all around you. And then set up all of them against the power of Jesus Christ. Are any of your problems a problem at all for Jesus Christ? Is there anything in your life that He cannot handle? Any problem He cannot solve? Anything that He cannot do for your eternal good? Child of God, why are you anxious? Why are you frustrated and fearful? Has Jesus not promised to use His great power for your good? Do you not have the precious promises made to you? The promises of the great eight, Romans 8, and so many more. If this all-powerful Lord Jesus Christ is for you, who can be against you? Remember, Jesus' goal for you in this life is not your comfort nor your ease but your holiness and your witness as you declare His supreme worth even in the midst of hardship. But Jesus will never let His people be overcome by hardship. And Jesus will never allow us to experience any lasting eternal harm. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He will be with you. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Hear what God says to his people in Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, that's us, the church, the children of Abraham by faith, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior." I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Here is how our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is so different from the idols that can do absolutely nothing. Oh, how the prophets love making fun of idolatry. 
In Isaiah 44, he speaks of the ironsmith taking his cutting tool, working it over the coals. He uses his hammer to fashion the idol. But then the idol maker gets hungry. His strength fails. He gets thirsty. He has to go back to his house and rest as he makes his God. Or Isaiah speaks of the carpenter who takes part of a tree and uses it as fuel for his fire to bake his bread. And then he takes the other part of the tree and makes a God and bows down to it and says, deliver me for you are my God. How foolish. Man-made gods can do nothing. And yet Mount Hermon today, most Americans are acting as foolishly as the pagan idolaters of the past. So many people looking to gods who are not gods and do not have the power they need. Our political parties cannot change the hearts of men. Our favorite candidates, our favorite causes, our favorite social movements cannot bring true repentance and true reconciliation to our country. There is absolutely no one and no thing that can make you right with a holy God outside of Jesus Christ. He is the only name by which men may be saved. He is the only true God, the one who is all-powerful. And so Edward Perrinet was meditating on the wonderful crowning of King Solomon in the Old Testament. And he recognized that the throne of Solomon was actually the throne of the future son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon's throne was glorious and he ruled over Israel for many years of prosperity before he died. But when Jesus took that throne, the throne of David, Jesus did so to rule over the nations and not just the nations, all heaven and all earth forever and ever and ever. And Perinette realized that the awesome crowning ceremony of Solomon with all of its pomp and splendor was just a shadow of the ascension of Jesus Christ when he was crowned as the God-man, as the Lord over all forever and ever. So he wrote a hymn about it. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. And bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall, hail him who saves you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. Oh, let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Now, Herman, as we have seen, when Jesus performed these mighty acts during his earthly ministry, casting out demons, healing the sick, he did so as a true man leaning on the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit that enabled Jesus to cast out demons. It was the Spirit that actually gave him that unction in his preaching. But now... The God-man, our Lord Jesus, has taken his throne so that the Spirit does the bidding of King Jesus. The Spirit sent throughout the earth. The Spirit that is working in this room and wherever you are this morning is doing the will of Jesus Christ. Since Jesus is powerful and since he is good, let us trust him. Let us take our prayers to him. Let us call on him. Let us bring our every concern and need to Him. 
And let us rest in him. He is the son of God. He is the Christ, the anointed one. And all power in heaven and on earth is his. Amen? Let's pray.